bless him. I appreciate him. We got several of our team out today. And uh, I know Justin, our drummer, he's in Charleston, and Jeannie was on her business trip to Vegas. That was, I think that was a front for a business trip. She's flying back right now as we speak. Amen. Appreciate, appreciate Adam on the bass this morning. He's normally up here, one of our vocalists, and so we just appreciate the team doing what a team does. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, it's good to see you. I want to say uh, I see a precious angel back there. Hallelujah. Sister Grace Hughes. We hadn't seen Mother Grace in a long time because of all that's been going on, darling. We are so, I didn't, you shocked me. You're supposed to give me advance notice you're coming. <laughs> and uh, Sister Grace is just a precious mother of this house. We honor you, Sister Grace. We love you. She's been having to watch us totally on Facebook for over a year probably now, but we are so honored to have her in the house of the Lord this morning. We love you, Sister Grace. Amen. And uh, holler at me again. I can't keep up. You're, uh, what, what, what little sweet age are we at now? What's your number? How old? 93 years young. Amen. <laughs> now, see, if she hadn't have said that, you wouldn't have believed it. So I let her say it. You say, well, you're not supposed to ask a lady her age. Yeah, once you hit 90, then it's legal to ask them. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I just thank God for her and she's just a precious, precious encourager. She's called me so many times throughout these months. And and I tell you what, now she's right on time when she calls. She's always talked about I'm going to the war room. And that means her prayer room. And there's times that where I just really was going through something extremely tough and that phone ring. And on the other end, it's sister Grace, she said, I just had you on my heart this morning. I had to call you. And uh, see what's going on. So we just, I love and appreciate you, Sister Grace, so much. Hallelujah. If you have your Bible, I want to read with us John chapter 1, verse 14. And uh, I want to read John also, verse 17 of that same chapter. And then we'll let you be seated. I'm talking about uh, grace today. It's kind of a new sermon for me, but I'll see what I can do with it. This is called Grace Point because grace is the point, right? I don't ever get tired of saying that. And so grace, uh, we're titling this Jesus who is grace personified. John 1 and 14, and the word became flesh. Notice the word's capital, that's Jesus. The word became flesh. In heaven before Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem, he always has existed and he was known as the word. Uh, John starts off in this chapter saying in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then that Word became flesh, took on human flesh, and dwelt among us. And when we beheld His glory, the glory as of only of the only begotten of the Father, and the notice is full of grace and truth. Now, you can't separate grace from truth. And sometimes when people read the Bible or they read this statement, they think like grace is grace, and then truth is the law and the rules and the regulations. Nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life so you can't separate uh, grace from truth no more than I like to say you can separate wet from water you, you just can't do it it's one and the same and then down in verse 17 it says for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came 
through Jesus Christ. Now listen, Jesus didn't send grace. Jesus uh, was and is grace. Grace came because Jesus came. And Jesus demonstrated grace. And, and, and I want you to think about something that I, I was thinking about this week. Grace is always greater than, than the old covenant judgment, the law. We're not under the law anymore, for you are under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under the law, you're under grace. But, but, but grace is always greater, and we have some pictures of that. When, remember when, Mo, when Elijah went on Mount Carmel and he prayed and put the sacrifice there according to the law? He put the bulls there and the oxen and all that stuff. And, and the fire of God fell, remember? And it, and it said it consumed every bit of the sacrifice, the water, even the altar and the stones were disintegrated. When God's wrath came upon that, the fire of the, of the judgment against sin. But notice when, when Jesus hung on the cross and he became the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world and the wrath of sin came upon him, when all that wrath had, had, had finished, Jesus was still hanging there. You think about that? Jesus was still there. It didn't consume him because grace is greater than, than the judgment of God. Can you say amen to that? You can be seated this morning. God bless you. Now, I had somebody write me this week, and they, they, uh, uh, and they don't even attend here. And a lot of times I get people that uh, send these questions, and I love them, and sometimes I can get to them, and sometimes I get to them much later than they probably want me to. But, but, you know, it's a term that a lot of us have heard. How many of you have heard the term hyper-grace, hyper-grace? Have you heard of that? And, and, and it's not in the Bible, and it's a, it's a term that has been coined by uh, church folk sometimes to speak negatively of the grace of God. Can you imagine that? I remember growing up in church, and I've been in church since I was 12 years old, and, and I went for over two decades uh, and never heard one single sermon about the grace of God. Not one sermon. And in and, and, and the church that I was raised in, I don't mean this from a malicious standpoint, but it's just the facts that when the word grace was mentioned. Now, we sung in my church grace, amazing grace, almost every Sunday. But I noticed that nobody really seemed to be amazed by it. Right? And uh, how can you sing amazing grace with a sad face? But they did it. And, and then when I would hear the word grace mentioned in a sermon, it was always something that the pastor was warning us about. Greasy grace, he would say. Or don't think grace is a sliding board into heaven or, or you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it was always put in the light of in a negative connotation. Now, uh, here's something that you might not know about grace. Jesus himself, who I just told you grace came because he came, and he came full of grace and truth. And, and, but here's something you might not know about grace. Jesus never defined it in the Bible. He never defined it. Uh, and, and as far as I can find in the scripture, Jesus is never recorded saying the word grace out of his mouth. He never even used it. He, he, never, he, he never said grace. Can you imagine that? The Lord of grace who came from the throne of grace... He came here full of grace, never uttered the word grace. But he sure showed it. He absolutely demonstrated it. And he put grace on full display for all of us to see. Because why didn't he say something about it? Because Jesus didn't come to preach grace to us. He came to be grace for us. 
He came to be grace personified. And he did this by loving people unconditionally, by forgiving people indiscriminately. He hung out with sinners and Pharisees and foreigners and tax collectors and hookers. Come on, somebody. He did. I can prove all that in the Bible. I mean, he did. And it drove the religious people crazy that he would do that. And then, besides that, he told stories that the Bible calls parables uh, that, 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 that illustrated the radical grace of God. And one of the most radical ones that bothers religious people more than any of them is the prodigal son's story, the parable of the prodigal son. Because here we have a, we have a person who, who takes his daddy's wealth when he shouldn't even, he's not even entitled to it, goes to a foreign land, spends it on wine, women, and song, blows all the money, lives a riotous life, and then runs out of money. Nobody's giving him any money, and he's having to eat with the hogs. Now, God didn't do any of that to him, and sometimes you have to build yourself a pig pen before you realize how good you did have it in Papa's house. And sometimes I just see people, and I say, Brother, just build that pig pen, brother. You'll get tired of hogs after a while. And, and the prodigal son didn't come home because he missed church, because he missed singing, because he missed the, the preaching. He came home because he needed three squares and a place to sleep. Come on, somebody. That's the only reason he'd come home. But he was a son when he left. He was a son when he departed. He was a son when he was on the wrong road going away from God. And he was a son when he was with the hogs. And he was a son when he was on his way Stinky way back home. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says when he got back home, Jesus told the story that his father was looking for him. And when his while he was great, a far away off. And he said when his father saw him, he ran to him. Now, you don't understand the story maybe, but the reason, that, why would the father run to him? Because in, in, in the old covenant under the law, if a son rebelled against his father like that son did, the law was that he would be stoned to death. Father wasn't going to have that. He stopped all that. And not only did he go there and run, and, and if I, the Bible said he fell on his neck and kissed him. The son had this speech already rehearsed, what he was going to say to his daddy. He was just going to say, listen, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm just, I'm just a piece of you know what, and I just want to be a servant and live in the barn with the rest of the servants or whatever because and, 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 and I, I have blown it. His daddy wouldn't let him talk because if you pay for what you get from God, it ain't grace. I said, if you pay for anything that you get from God, it ain't grace. Because grace is free. Free to us, not free to him. But it cost him everything. But grace, God's grace goes forth. And, and then not only that, it looks like the Father's rewarding him. He says, I don't want to hear nothing about it. He said, he, he, give, he gives him the best robe. Guess which robe that was? It was the one Papa was wearing. That's symbolic of God's righteousness. God gives us his righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. We become we don't achieve it. We receive it, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We, righteousness is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. You don't be a Christian and work for it and you just finally achieve No, no, no. You, you, are, you are born again righteous because he's righteous. So he gave him the best robe. He gave him the ring on his finger, which is symbolic of authority. He could use the name of the Father. He could have authority in the name. And, and slaves didn't have shoes, but the Father said put sandals on his feet because he's not a slave to sin or any, all that anymore. And then he said, besides that, let's have a party. God knows how to throw a party. Kill the fatted calf. Now, how many knows the religious son that he was still a prodigal? You know, you can be away from God and sitting in church. 
I said, you can be far away from God while you're sitting in church singing songs. The older brother got upset. And he wouldn't even go into the party. He was outside, we call it in South Pouton. And I love what the Bible said. But the Bible said because the, the older son wouldn't come in, said the father went out. He'll always go where you won't, won't, won't go or where you don't think he'll go. It said because the older one wouldn't come in, the father went out. And he said, son, why don't, why don't you come into the party? And, and he said, look at me. I, he said, I've served you all. Mm -mm, see, there we go. I've served you all my life. I've done all this for you. I've given up this for you. I've been a good son. I didn't run off and spend my money, your money on wine, women, and so on. And, and you ain't never killed me, no fatty calf. You want the father basically said to him, because you ain't never asked for one. He said, all that I have is yours. You have not because you ask not. He said, all I have is yours. He said, this is, he said, we, this is time to rejoice. This is, this is your brother. This is my son that I thought was dead, but now is alive. People don't even have enough sense to celebrate when people come to God or come back to God. They want God to get them and make them pay. But God ain't going to sit on the front porch and say, you know what, I knew you'd drag your sorry butt back to the house after your money run out. I told your mama you'd come crawling back. See, God, that, that's how your parents talk to you, but that ain't how God talks to you. Come on, somebody. See, you got to understand that grace is, is bigger than that. This person wrote me. They said, you know, Pastor, what's this, what's this term? I, they said somebody said something to me about be aware of hyper grace preachers, and high, this message of hyper grace. And there's been people like Dr. Michael Brown that just wrote a book warning people against the grace of God. It's where they say that grace has been carried too far. That, that's, that's a dumb statement. That's like saying <clears throat> hyper I don't hear anybody writing books warning us about hyper love. Hyper forgiveness. Hyper mercy. Because it's like saying, well, you, you know, you carry that love thing too far. Nobody says God carries his love too far. <clears throat> but here they're saying that, you know, carry grace too far. I'm, I'm going to say this. We ain't carried grace far enough. I, I told somebody the other day, I was talking to them and, and I said, I so wish that I knew at your young age. I wish I knew at 20, 25 years old. I wish I had the knowledge. I was born again. I was serving God. But I wish I knew that God was better than I thought he was back then. I mean, the God that I served in my 20s was a God that I thought, you know, got angry, would pay me back, wouldn't hear my prayers, cut me off, all that kind of stuff. And none of that was true. But I lived like it was true, and I reaped the unbenefits of that. Paul was so impressed and so, so moved by Jesus' love and inspired by his love and forgiveness that the Apostle Paul went, traveled the whole known world preaching God's grace. And, he, and once he preached it, he was always having to defend it. Because Paul would tell them how much the grace of God was and how God had forgiven them of all their sin. And, 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 and I'm going to read the verse in just a second, but where sin abound, grace much more abound. And then they would come behind his preaching and say, well, if that's true, then why don't we sin all the more so grace can really abound? And Paul said, God forbid. They would say, why don't we just really go to sinning like crazy and we can have a bunch of grace. You don't understand grace supersedes sin. Romans 5 and 20 in Romans, the fifth chapter, 20th verse, listen to what it says. Moreover, Paul said, the law entered. In other words, the reason God gave the law 
so that the offense might abound so that sin could be made clear. And another, in another place, Paul said, I didn't even know there was sin until the law put it out. He said, I wouldn't even know what covetous was until the scripture said, thou shalt not covet. And he said, once he, the scripture says, thou shalt not covet, then he realized he was a coveter. It says, more of the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This is where the real phrase of hyper grace is a biblical phrase. If the grace that we preach is not hyper, then it's not biblical grace. Now, the word here, this, I'm reading the English, and of course, is translated from the Greek New Testament. And so Paul uses two different Greek words, and it says, but where sin abounded. The word he uses there is a word in the Greek that means it can be counted. In other words, it's the possibility of being counted. Let me say it to you and describe it like this. You can walk out on the, these nights. I don't know if you've been, had the privilege of being out at night in this last few weeks even. Brilliant stars and skies just, it's just beautiful if you just look up and take a look. And I was standing out the other night just looking at, you know, just looking at it. And uh, it was just amazing, really. And, and in that moment in what I could see, it would have taken quite a bit of time, but I could have counted those stars. There was many of them, hundreds of them, probably thousands. And I could have counted them. And I could say, well, I've seen the stars. No, I, you, you hadn't seen but just a speck of the stars. Because those stars go far beyond this Milky Way galaxy. It goes into thousands of galaxies. In other words, we, we ain't even scratched the surface in what we can see. And so what, what, he, what Paul used the term, he said, where sin abounded, sin, it can be counted, it can be recorded or whatever. But then he says grace abounded and he changed the Greek word much more Paul was always saying much more much more and Jesus used that word he said if you being earthly fathers know how to give gifts to your children much more shall your heavenly father give the kingdom of heaven his holy spirit to them that ask it much more and so Paul's always trying to get the church to see the much more of God's grace and but the word that he used is a word that means it cannot be counted it means superabundant, hyper, off the chart, can't be calculated. The grace of God. You can count sin, but you can't count grace because grace is greater than sin. Can you say amen? I, I love how the Amplified Bible uh, carries the last part of that verse. The Amplified in Romans 5.20 says this, But where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it, and increased the more and superabounded. Isn't that good? And that's literally what the word means. So I told this person, don't you be fearful of the word hyper grace because that's biblical grace. That's God's grace. Now, most of the time, if you hear anybody using that term, and I don't use it much in here unless I'm talking about what I'm talking about, but most of the time, if you're out here in the world and you hear somebody say hyper grace, it's a negative thing. It's a negative thing. But I, I, but I want to tell you something. Uh, uh, grace... It's important for you to see grace is not a teaching, a theology, or a doctrine. It's not a creed. It's a person. And, and I cannot overemphasize that. And, and, and the first time the word grace appears is in Genesis 6 and 8 where it says Noah found what? Grace. Where though? In where? In the eyes of the Lord. So that means grace has eyes. That means grace is a person. 
And Noah found that grace, but he, where did he find it? In the eyes of the Lord. That's where the grace of God is. And, and, and so why, why, why do we say that? Why do I say that? Why is grace literally another name for Jesus? In other words, any place in the Bible you see the word grace, you can substitute the word Jesus and it will be biblically accurate. Any place you see the word Jesus, you can substitute the word grace and it will be biblically accurate. So why do I say that grace is a person? Because the Bible says grace is a person. I could give you many. I'm just going to give you a few. It says the gospel of grace, and then it says it also uses the term is the gospel of Jesus. That's Acts 20, 24, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8. It says those same words. It says the gospel of grace, and then it calls it the gospel of Jesus. How many knows that we are saved by grace through faith? But how many knows that Jesus is our Savior? And the Bible says we are saved by him. We're saved by Jesus. It, see, it says the same thing. It says we're saved by grace, and then it says that we're saved by Jesus. Which one is it? Yes, we are saved by Jesus, and we're saved by grace because Jesus is grace, full of grace, grace personified. Amen? The Bible says in Romans 3.24 we're justified by grace, and in Romans 4.25 it says we're justified by Jesus. Which one is it? It's the, it is the same, right? The Bible says that, that come to the throne room of grace to find help in time of need. But then it also says in Hebrews 4.16 that Jesus is our helper. Which one is it? It's one and the same. Do you see me? Grace offers salvation to all, it says. But then it says that Jesus offers salvation to all. You see that? It says that all the blessings of God come to us by grace alone. And then it says in Ephesians 1 and 3 that all the blessings of God are found in one place, and that's in Christ Jesus. You see there? It's just all through the Bible. It says that grace is a teacher. The grace of God teaches us, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. But the Bible says that Jesus is a teacher, right? Uh, the Paul told them in the book of Galatians 5 and 4, he said, that they had cut themselves off from Christ, but then he told them that they had also cut themselves off from grace, trying to go back and live under the law. So why does it matter? Why is it such a big deal that you in your heart of hearts believe that grace is a person and that you see grace as a person because it matters so much, guys, because if you don't, then grace will not bear fruit in your life if you think that grace is merely a teaching or a concept or a creed or a doctrine. But you want the grace of God to bear that fruit in our lives and that we are living in the grace of God. We're not only saved by grace, but we're kept by grace through faith in him. Can you say amen? And, and I, I, you know, somebody said, well, can't grace be abused? Absolutely. But can't love be abused? Huh? I mean, uh, all, all kind of, can't forgiveness be abused? Sure it can. And, and, and really, you don't even understand, but that's the point. Because if it can't be abused, then it's not really grace. It's not really grace. And so it don't surprise me to hear people, religious people in particular, speak negatively about the grace of God because people love rules and regulations. and They, they love that. And... and, and uh, but I, I want to say, and I hardly ever do this, but I don't know if any of you have seen uh, this movie. It's about 10 years old now. 
but is it stars Denzel Washington, who is one of my favorite not only actors but people. Just a, I, I just think he's an absolute great man, and, and and I love him and just about anything he does. I don't you know, he just don't make a bad movie, and um, but but this is it's called the Book of Eli. Anybody seen that movie, the Book of Oh, look at y'all movie watchers. Can you admit to that in church and still be saved? Hallelujah. Um, I remember when I was a young boy, you couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't admit to that. But that, I was thinking about that the other day. I watched it again here a while back for the second time. Probably watched it three times. Now, if, if you like a, a story where you have one lone man who is standing up, up against uh, the wicked uh, and he's trying to distribute the Word of God in a post uh, 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 world of destruction or whatever, uh, then this is a movie for you. But now don't watch it with the kiddos because it's extremely violent, okay? Don't show it to your youth group at church, okay, because Brother Dale mentioned it. Uh, but it is a, it, to me it's a great movie. And, and so what, what, what the, uh, you know, uh, the story really is about uh, is that uh, he has the only copy left of the Bible. And uh, he's, uh, he's carrying this last known copy of the Word of God. And then he comes to this town where this villain, this bad guy, uh, his, his name's Carnegie, and he's the local strong man, you know, <clears throat> and uh, he's looking for the Bible, and he wants to get his hands on this book. And 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 Eli is not about the character that Denzel plays. He's not about to give up uh, the world's last copy of the Bible to this psychopath. So that sets the stage for a lot of conflict and uh, trouble. And one of uh, the bad guys, Carnegie's uh, thugs, he, he asked him in the movie, and I don't remember everything he said, but he asked him, why are you pushing so hard to get that book? Why do you want that book so bad that you're pushing so hard to get that book? And, and then Carnegie answers his, you know, thug, whatever, and, and this is what he says in the movie. He said, it's not a book. He said, because it's not a book, he said, it's a weapon. And, and he said, it will give us control of them. And he said, people will come from all over, and they'll do exactly what I tell them if I tell them the words are from the book. I can control them. I can make them do what I say out of the book. And, uh, boy, when he said that in the movie, and I guess because of me being a preacher, whew, stood out. And I said, you know, that's exactly the way it is. There's a lot of truth in what this little actor just said in this movie because the Bible is universally known as the good book. Do what the good book says. That's the good book. And, and rightly so, it should be. It is a good book. I highly recommend it, right? And, and its words in that book, they are breathed of God. And, and it will point you to a person whose name is Jesus. And if you read the whole Bible through the lens of Jesus, like I mentioned earlier, if you, read the, if you don't read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, you're going to come away from reading the Bible confused, maybe even discouraged, maybe depressed, particularly if you're reading in the Old Covenant. 
We're not under the old covenant. Now we're under grace. But God has always been a grace God. And, and so, but if you read the Bible, all of it, including the book of Job, if you read the Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross, then what you'll find coming away from the Bible is you'll find redemption and you'll find life. And, 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 and you'll read the written word in order to discover the living word. And I'm telling you, it will set you free. I, I told you about one time, and I'll do this quickly, about a revival that I ran many, many years ago. I, I was pastoring. And, but I went to this city, uh, a friend of mine had taken a church as a pastor, he'd only been there three months, and he said, please come run a revival for us, and, and, and so I did. And it was one of those churches where it was a real denominational type church, which is cool, and, uh, and I remember the first night I got there on Sunday night, I read from the New King James Version, which is what I read from today, I really like it, it, it changes some of the vowels and the dines, because we don't talk like that anymore. And it doesn't change the word. It just changes, uh, you know, like in the King James, it'll make a statement. It'll, the sentence will read, God is a terrible God. And I can't get up and preach that God's terrible. But what that means in King James language, the word terrible means awesome. Right? So the new King James will translate that word awesome, and then we get it. Oh, yeah, God is awesome, but he's not terrible like we use the word terrible. You get the point? So I read from the new King James, but then the head deacon went to the pastor and said, that's not allowed here. He must preach out the King James Version only. And the pastor called me that day before I came back on Monday evening to preach. He said, bro, I hate to tell you, but you can't use the new King James here. The head deacon told me you got to use the King James. I said, that's cool. I read that morning. I, 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 I can quote that better than I can the other one. I'm good with that, you know. I know how to. I mean, if you don't like your shoes taken off in your house, I know how to keep mine on. You know what I'm saying? Law of the house, I got you. didn't bother me. It bothers me that you think that Jesus went around with a King James Bible in his pocket. That bothers me. You know, that, it bothers me that you think the disciples all had a copy of the King James that the Gideons gave him. That bothers me. <laughs> anyway, so I'm cool with that, so I went back. And it was also a church that every night after I preached, the pastor would have me to walk down the center of the aisle while one of the deacons prayed, and we made our way to the double doors at the back, and we stood in the little vestibule, and we greeted and shook the hands of everybody as they departed the sanctuary. And that's cool. I like that. You know, sometimes I'm tired, but we'll do it because that's how they do it. They do it all the time. So I'm standing there. And so that makes the people have to file by you, and you got to shake their hand. And then they feel obligated to say something, even if it's stupid. And so this guy comes by, and, and he, he was by himself, and he didn't look happy. He was an older gentleman. He didn't look happy. He grabbed my hand, and he said, he shook it, and he said, well, at least you give me something to think about. And that's all he said, and he went out. I thought, that, what, that dude ain't nice. I'm not enjoying this. And we go through, and the next night, he comes through, and he said something about the same, you know, caustic way. I'm talking about this dude here. Why is he coming to church, man? He's got a problem. You know, and the I said to the pastor, I said, do you know this guy? And he said, I've never seen this guy. He said, he's not one of our members. Because he was like, he ain't one of ours. I said, okay. The next night, I'm not making that. The next night, he, he grabbed my hand and pulled me from the line, pulled me off the, where I was standing, over into a hall. And he said, I, was, I just want to talk to you a second. 
And so, I, you know, he drug me over there. So, I'm, I'm, you know, he got me by the hand. And he said, I want to talk to you a minute. He said, you know what? He said, a Playboy book does me better than this reading that Bible. Now, I don't know if you've ever, that's not something you normally, you know, say to the preacher. You, want, you don't want them to know you got that stuck between your mattress and your box springs. You know what I'm saying? Try to keep that stuff hid. But he said, the Playboy magazine does me a lot better than reading that Bible. And he said, I know a bunch of these people in this church, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. This is what he's telling me. He said, there's a bunch of hypocrites acting like they're all that. He said, I know how they live. I mean, what do you say to that? I want to say, why are you coming? No, I want to say, you know, I want to say, go home, brother, have a cup of coffee, something, you know, or beer, whatever. <laughs> but it came to my heart because God's good. And 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 when he and and I said, you know, you, you said the Playboy book does you better in the Bible. I, I said, in in the book of John the fifth chapter, Jesus was talking to the most religious people of the day. And he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But he went on to say, Jesus said, but the scriptures, they testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Boy, those words are the words of God. And those words shut that man up. I said, you're trying to find God in a book, and the book points you to God. I said, the whole point of the book is to point you to a person, and he's a real person, and his name's Jesus. And God's not trying to get you to memorize a book, but God's trying to get you to come to his son. And he didn't even say nothing else, and he walked off. The very next night, here that dude is again, sitting out there in the surface. I done got him picked out by now, like, there's brother commotion or whatever his name. I mean, there he sits. He's sitting by himself on the pews. I give an altar call for salvation. First guy out of his seat was that old man. He rolled right down to the front, and he knelt at the altar. Uh, the pastor come down and knelt in front of him and prayed with him, and he accepted Jesus Christ for the first time in his life, and he was in his 70s, so it's never too late. He went, amen, give God praise for that. Now, I, I, I didn't save the guy. And all I did was say what came to my heart when he said the Playboy book done me better. I said, because you're looking for a book instead of a person. And I just quoted him the Bible. He came, and it, and it so touched his heart, he came that next night and received Christ. He went home after church, took his clothes off, got in the bed, and died with a heart attack. Got in the bed. Had a heart attack, gone. The pastor called me the next day and told me, of course, what happened. And he didn't know him, and he wasn't a member, but his family called. And they knew he'd been going to church every night, and he'd been discussing what I'd been preaching with them when he'd come home. And they even, they ain't never even seen me, and they even asked that I preach his funeral. Isn't that something? And, and, and that man was so, you know, because he was approaching the Bible through the wrong lens. And if you read the Old Covenant and some of those verses and, and, and the judgment and some of those things, you'll get a very wrong, distorted view of who God is. God's always been a God of grace. God's never been a God that pays you back and getting you. And, I mean, you can sin has consequences. 
and you can do stupid stuff, and you can pay a, a, a horrible price physically, emotionally, but it's not God doing it to you. In the old covenant before, see, we didn't even get the law till Moses come. So that's 400, 500 years. So we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all them brothers wasn't under no law. We got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. You know, and we don't, and one of those sons was Levi, and through the descendants of Levi, we get Moses. And when Moses comes, he's an 80-year-old man, and he goes out to Mount Sinai, and God gives him the law. Now, the day that that happened, those people said, we're going to obey everything in that book. That day, they started worshiping a false god of Egypt, Cass. And on that day, 3,000 died. But when grace was preached in Acts chapter 2 by a backslidden preacher named Peter, who denied he even knew Jesus, and started cursing to the girl that was questioning him and said, you're, you're one of his. And he started cussing her out and said, I'm not one of his. I don't even know who you're talking about. Because he was scared. Fear make you do stupid stuff. But they gave him the honor and the privilege of preaching that day. And when he got through preaching, 3,000 got saved when grace came. Do you see the difference? And, and so, so Abraham, he lied. He lied several times. That ain't my wife, that's my sister. He did that to save his hide. He, he lied and watched the Pharaoh take his wife to his harem. He wasn't carrying her to the harem, y'all, for milk and cookies. Help me, somebody. And Abram just sat there and let her go because he said, if I tell him that you're my wife, he'll kill me to get you. So I'm going to pimp you out, girl, and keep, keep me safe. Every woman wants a husband like that. Don't you, don't you ladies? Ain't that what you're looking for? How many looking for that kind of man? No, you ain't looking for that kind of man. Abraham lied. Listen, God never got on to him. God never mentioned his lie. God never said, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. That's wrong for lie. You know where liars go, don't you? God didn't do none of that. That's what religious people do to you. God never mentioned this lie. When God would talk to him, he'd always call him back to his destiny and remind him of the covenant that God had made with him. Here comes Isaac. He lies like his daddy lied. That's where he learned to lie, watching daddy lie. So Isaac told not only a lie, but the exact same lie. That ain't my wife, that's my sister. God never mentioned it to him. Why? Because grace don't remember your sins. It don't keep record of them. I don't care what they told you. The Holy Spirit convicted me. The Holy Spirit's God. He ain't writing down none of your sins. The Bible says over and over in the New Testament, God is keeping no record of your trespasses and sin. Your sin account has a zero balance as far as God's concerned. That don't mean you ain't sinning, and that don't mean you ain't paying a price physically and emotionally for doing wrong things. But it's not Papa, because Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, which included yours, and it includes the ones you hadn't even done yet. Amen? I love it when you come out and get the church to say amen to that. That means we're making progress. And then Isaac has a son... Jacob, Jacob's whole life is a lie, filled with deception and cheating and all that stuff. And, 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 and at the end of the deal, wrestling it out with God, God says to him, son, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. You know what Jacob means? Swindler, deceiver, heel grabber. God said, boy, that ain't your name. Your name's Israel. Your name's a man that has overcome and conquered. See, that's like when, when Gideon was in the wine press and the enemies all around him and, and, and he, he just hiding out trying to get a little, little, little groceries going. 
And the angel of the Lord, which was none other than Jesus, the pre-incarnate, the angel, capital A, walks in and says, Greetings, mighty man of valor. Gideon looked around seeing who was in there with him. And, and, and he said, Lord, if you are with me, then why is all this evil come on us? You go back to the verse 1 of that chapter in Judges, and it says, Because the people turned their back on God and began to serve false gods. That's what brought all that. The enemy did all that. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. But God will never speak down to you. God will always, on your worst day, speak to your potential. You can be hiding out with fear and looking like the biggest failure, and God will say, come in here, you mighty man of valor. And, 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 and he said, well, how, how, how am I? He said, God said, go in the strength that you have. He told him, he said, God, I'm the weakest of my tribe. I'm the weakest family member. I'm the weakest of all. God said, go in the strength that you have, son. See, you've got strength in you. If you've got Jesus in you, you don't even know the strength you have because God's on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And, 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 and so I've I got to get back to my movie, <laughs> Eli. So Eli has got the only copy of the Word of God, and this mean guy's trying to get it so he can control people. And, 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 you know, and I thought about, I said, you know, there, there's a lot of truth in that because there's a lot of people that will get a hold of the Bible, they will reach into the Old Covenant, and they will pull out law, commands, and they will put it on you, and they'll tell you what God's going to do to you if you don't do it, and they'll try to control you and manipulate you with the Bible. I told you I even did a blog some time ago called Bullets with Bibles. And I've sat under some bullets with Bible, and they will scare the Hades out of you. Because they'll take scriptures, and they'll read it from the book. And if, they'll, if, they, if they tell you it's in the book, then you've got to line up with it. And by doing that, they, see, and they don't preach the grace of God. See, somebody will even read the words of Jesus, and they'll say, and I'll give you an example. They'll read the words of Jesus. And Jesus in the New Testament, and, and, and you know, we, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. This is before the cross now. And if you, don't, if you miss this little caveat, you're going to be really confused when you read the Bible, even the New Testament. When does the New Testament begin? It does not begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Even though that little center page separating the Old Testament from the New, and it says the New Covenant, that ain't when the New Covenant's going to start. They got that wrong. I'd like to have a Bible and take that white page out that says the New Covenant and put it where it belongs, and that's at the end of the Gospel of John and the beginning of the epistles in the beginning of the book. I'd put it right before the book of Acts. This is when the New Covenant begins because Jesus has been buried, crucified, buried, and resurrected. That's when the covenant, the last will, goes into effect. You can't draw from the will if you, if you can folks are still alive. If they're still alive, go down to the Lord and say, I want to inherit it. You can't get nothing, baby. It don't go into effect, right, until they're what? Dead. The covenant, the new covenant, didn't go into effect until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Is that right? So, knowing that now, rightly dividing, Paul said the word of truth, rightly dividing it, separating the new from the old. We're not under the old anymore. So Jesus was preaching law to those that were under the law. So Jesus preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 the greatest Longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he said, be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, Jesus said, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be perfect. How perfect do you have to be? Perfect is God. What do you got Christians running around? I'm not perfect. That's the only people going to heaven, baby, it's perfect people. So if you ain't perfect, it's 
spoiler alert here. If you're not perfect, you ain't going. God don't grave on the curve. 70 ain't passing. See how quiet? Isn't that something? See, it sounds like strange words to hear, doesn't it? God, 70 ain't passing with God. You don't go to heaven because you made 70. So that you're saying you're 70% good, but 30% bad, but God's going to say, well, you tried. Come on in, son. You, you think that's how God does it? Oh, they're going to have your funeral. Oh, you was good. You was a member of the Kiwanis. You gave to homeless people, and you was sweet to the community, and you was a good provider. You're going to heaven. Come on in. You, you think that's why people go to heaven? Because uh, you went to church every Sunday, and they baptized you one time in the creek, and your name's on the roll. That's why you're going to heaven, right? Oh, no, because you rehearsed and said the prayer the preacher told you to pray, and you recited it, and you spoke it, therefore you're going to heaven. None of that stuff saves people. See how quiet it gets in our Presbyterian church. I love the Presbyterians. Don't send me no email. I get myself in so much trouble with my mouth. Help me, Lord. What I'm saying to you, the Bible says, be ye perfect. Jesus said it. But in Hebrews, it says that he's the God who has perfected us forever. And we are perfect where? In our actions? No. In our thoughts? No. In our spirit, though. That part of you was dead, but now it's alive. You, you, you were made perfect in your spirit. Now, we don't manifest that perfection, but it's in there. And you are perfect, you are forgiven, you are holy, and you are righteous, and all that's because of the new birth. Amen? And the more you know that, then you can start living that, displaying that on the outside. Right? Not by rules and regulations. So, I want to just, I want to end this real quick. I got nine minutes. Real quick, I'm just going. I could give you a bunch. I, I, I had more. I'm going to give you five of them. Five signs, symptoms, I guess you'd say. And he, he, Paul warned people, don't, don't go back under the law now. Once you've been saved, he told this to the Galatians. Now, what, what can make the grace of God ineffectual in our lives? It's when we allow ourselves to get tangled up in religious notions about what it means to do the right thing. Let, 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 me, let me finish this statement with this. In another place, Jesus, in the words in red, how many has heard people say, if you just do what's written in red, you'll be all right? No, you won't. And, and what I like to say, try to, I try to, try to think of things to make you remember. The words in red are to make you dead. Because Jesus was preaching law. The greatest law preacher was not Moses, it was Jesus. So they had, when Jesus got there to the Jews, they had watered down the law and they thought they was doing all right and they could please God by their performance. Jesus said, you don't even know what the law is. He said, you think the law is thou shalt not commit adultery because that's what you read. But he said, I want to say to you what the law really is. If you've ever looked at anybody and lusted after them, you're an adulterer. How about that for some law? So what did that do? That made everybody listen to the sermon, an adulterer. Come on, knock it off, man, trying to be righteous in self. Jesus said, you, you've heard it said that thou shalt not murder. And you think you're good because you ain't killed nobody. But I want to say to you that if you ever hated anybody, you're a murderer. What did that just do? That made everybody a murderer. You can't, you can't get saved if you don't know you're drowning. 
Some folk think they out there you know, just on a swim. No, brother, you're drowning. You better take the life vest. <laughs> it's a long way to shore and you ain't going to make it on your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so Jesus is elevating the law back to its proper position. Now Jesus made this statement. He said, if you do not forgive your brother their trespasses. Anybody remember reading this in the Bible? Neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Did he say that? Are the words in red? Are they in the Bible? Did Jesus mean it when he said it? But it's not true for us today. Because he said it under the old covenant. But you know what preachers will do? They'll take that. They'll take the book of Eli. They'll read those words from the good book. They'll tell you this what it says. And they'll tell you if you've got aught in your heart against somebody and you had not forgiven them from your heart, God don't hear your prayers. You're cut off. You better get your hind into this altar and get it right with God because God don't hear your prayer. That's why, you know, and they just go off on you. That's that thug, man. That's that Carnegie trying to use the good book to control you and to scare you. You can't scare people into heaven and to manipulate you. You mean that don't count today? No, because once the cross happened, you're all forgiven. And Paul, Paul the grace preacher, he said this, forgive your brothers, even as Christ for his, for his sake, your sake, has forgiven, has past tense forgiven you. Paul encouraged people, don't hold grudges. Don't be angry and let the sun go down in your wrath. Forgive people. Because it's going to just hurt you if you don't forgive people. But, but God's not mad with you. God they don't have you cut off. God, God, you're not cut off from God. Under the old covenant, yes, ma'am, that was true. You, you got forgiveness based on what you forgave. It's an exchange. But you don't got that no more. See, one of the symptoms is that you might be living under the law is that you think that, you know, now that I'm saved, you got to serve God. You know what I mean? Look at all he's done for you, what you do for him. You ever heard that one? God's give him his, uh, you know, your life. What you going to do for God? And then you hear people say, I gave my life to the Lord, Brother Dale. And I go, no, you didn't. No, you ain't nobody in here gave their life to God. Y'all hear me? I want it to sink in. Ain't nobody in this room, you did not give your life to God and thereby get saved. This is not an exchange. This is not you paying for salvation. You didn't give your life to the Lord, and then the Lord said, because you're going to give me your life, I'll save you. All that's religious lies. You know why? Because the Bible says you didn't have no life to give him. Are you kidding yourself, man? The Bible said you were dead. You and I were dead. In trespasses and sin. You didn't have no life to give God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died. They wasn't that God came so that they would be forgiven. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. We needed life. You didn't have a life to give. All you had to give God was nothing. You had death. It ain't like God said, you give me your death. No, no, you ain't got nothing to give God. Just hush and accept grace. Just enjoy grace. Stop the boasting. Stop talking just as I am without one plea. Stop trying to, to impress. No, no, no. You're saved by the grace of God through faith. In other words, you put your faith in God's grace. And thereby you're saved. You're born again. So it, it, some people, number one, you're not 100% sure if you're 100% forgiven. You've got to get to the point that you know that you're 100% forgiven all the time. Even if you have messed up, you're already forgiven. 
Is it wrong for me to ask God to forgive me? No, you can ask God anything. He's your papa. But you don't have to do it to be because he's already done it. God don't need your permission to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. Knock it off and live like you're forgiven. I'm always doing what I told y'all a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about healing. God, thank you for loving me. I, I did it today. God, thank you that I am forgiven. And thank you, Papa, that I am healed by your stripes. I am healed. And, Father, I claim and receive my healing. I just I had a test this week. And when I said that, I've been struggling for four months. thought I had, and I haven't been to two different doctors. Both of them said I had a duodenal ulcer. I spent all kind of money, ultrasounds. I've had all kind of stuff done. And a couple of weeks ago, I preached to you all about healing because I just kind of realized myself, I, you know, this, I mean, there's some stuff ripping me off here. And I had to be reminded myself that by his stripes, I was healed. And I began to walk around and claim it and, and, and lay my hands on my own belly and just say, Father, I claim. And, you know, and I, and I, I've, it's been a lot of pain, a lot of, lot of stuff. And I, I, I had a, a scope where they run down and look in your stomach. The gastro guy said, we got to put eyes on. You know, that means I got to hand him $1,500. That's my copay. <laughs> that's a knockout. That ain't no copay. That's a knockout punch. Anyway, but I went in there and then come out. And he said, you, you ain't got no ulcer. I don't see nothing. <laughs> and I'm, t I'm telling you, you know, it was hard. I'm excited. I'm glad. But that was gone. That cost me $1,500 to get that testimony. That's a $1,500 testimony, right? <laughs> I'll take it. Jill, I know you wasn't nothing wrong with you. <laughs> woman, you don't know nothing. No, that's what she said. She said, you just got your healing. You just, you just walk in that healing. You know, and I've, I've even felt, you know, you feel them little twinges, those pains. And even she walked out on the porch yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I don't even know if you knew. I mean, you probably saw me out there. I had my, I, I was praying. I had my hand on my belly. I said, no, mm -mm -mm, I'm healed. But I hear stripes, I was healed. And if I was, I am. And if I am, I'm is. Hallelujah. Get off me, devil. Amen. <laughs> so you're 100% forgiven. Number two, you believe that Christians have a duty to serve the Lord. I just covered that one. Number three, you, 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 if you suffer from performance anxiety, in other words, you, you feel like that performance uh, is, is a rational response to the uncertainty of this life, and you see God more as your judge than as your father. He's not God. The, he's, he's, I'll tell you this all the time. He's not the Godfather. He's not breaking legs. He ain't sending floods. He's not sending hurricanes to Baton Rouge and New Orleans because they got strip joints. God's not drowning people in Houston. He's not sending earthquakes trying to get the attention. God's trying to speak to us. Nothing, all that's religious lies. God ain't doing none of that. The devil has, uh, he's a prince of the power of the air. When Jesus walked the earth, he rebuked storms. If God's behind every storm, that means Jesus was rebuking God. Come on, people, wise up. Show me one storm Jesus ever blessed. Show me one tornado he ever sent. Show me, it ain't in there. Jesus, you got to see the Bible through the lens of Jesus. He's a grace God. So, you know, God's not doing that. Number four, people always, we need more preaching on repentance. First off, you need to define what the Bible says repentance is. Repentance doesn't mean what you think it means. Repentance is, is a totally different, when, you, when the church hears the word repent, they think it means uh, you're crying to God and telling him how sorry I am about my sin. It, it means to think differently, right? It's the Greek word. 
Metadoia, to think differently. So when, when every time the Bible says repent, it means think differently. In other words, if you're going to receive the kingdom, the new covenant, you've got to think differently than you did. You've you got to think differently. And so repentance saves lives, but preaching on repentance don't lead people to repent. You know, it's not like, you know, people, turn or burn. You stand on the street corner with a Bible and scream at traffic as it comes by and hold up signs you're going to hell, people, and all that. It, it, you, I mean, you, it ain't happening, dude. That's not the gospel. Uh, uh, that mindset, it, it, listen, the Bible says this, it is the goodness of God that leads people to what? Repent. So it is God's goodness that leads people to do what? To change their mind. Change their mind about what? About God, about the Bible, about themselves, and about others. If you want people to repent, tell them how good God is. They'll repent. Last one. You mainly think of following Jesus in terms of giving up things. And, and I told you that. You, 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 it's not about what you give up for God. It's what God's already given up for you. He gave his life. He gave his life. And so, God's, listen, it, it is a, listen, it is a blasphemous thought that you could ever pay God back for dying on the cross for you. It is blasphemous to even attempt or have thoughts that I can somehow pay God back. I'm not saved because I'm going to heaven because I'm a preacher. Because now I have spent over 34 years preaching the gospel. That ain't why I'm going to heaven. Be a lot of preachers don't go. They won't because they're not born again. But the reason you're going to go to heaven is because the grace of God, you responded to that message of his goodness. He drew you to him with cords of love. And you accepted him through faith in his goodness. And in that moment that you believed in that, you were born again. That's what Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said that to one of the most religious people, Nicodemus, in the entirety of the word of God. And that's in John 3. And that's where Jesus went on talking to Nicodemus and said that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would just believe in him, they wouldn't have to perish. But they would be given everlasting, that's eternal Life, not temporary life, but eternal. Stand to your feet with me. Hallelujah. Did you get something out of the Word of God today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is so good. Don't you let nobody ever scare you away from the extravagant love of God that is displayed through the grace of God. And, and that's why I wrote that book. Uh, I'm not trying to sell books. I'm trying to get the message out. It, we just came up on the anniversary date. It came up on my Facebook. I think, it was, I think it was four years. I can't remember, three or four years. And uh, uh, Marta was so sweet to share it again, a fresh post and the comments you made. <laughs> uh, i got to quit talking about it. I start crying. But it touched my heart, Marta. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, but that book is available, and we we got a copy of some I'm here. And if you ain't got the twenty dollars, tell them I said to give it to you. They'll believe you, and they'll they'll hand it to you. Uh, I devoted one whole chapter, and I addressed these myths that we've all heard preached in church, like that one I said. If you don't forgive them, you're cut off. God, don't. that's that's not true. It's just simply not true. You can scare the heck out of people with that though. 
and that's being preached hard just about every Sunday somewhere. But they don't know that the cross has happened. Some people preach the Bible as if the cross and death, burial, and resurrection of Christ meant nothing and changed nothing. I want to say to you, it changed everything. It changed everything. And, and, and so in, in, that, in my book, I've got one whole chapter that's entitled The Myth That, that Hypergrace is a Dangerous Thing. It's, it's not dangerous. It's dangerous not to hear it and to hear that God's grace is superabounding. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where sin can be counted, grace cannot be counted. The thirsty man gets a drink from Niagara Falls. <laughs> I remember I had a guy who used to tell me a lot of times up when I was a pastor cornerstone. He said, man, hearing you preach is like trying to get a drink of water from a fire hose. <laughs> well, I said, well, good, brother. Not only are you getting a drink, but you're getting a shower and refreshed at the same time. Hallelujah. And I know that's a lot coming at you, but I believe your spirit can draw it in. And you can hear the word of God. And don't never let nobody pull you off of it. Of how much that God's grace is so amazing to us. Amen. Are you amazed by God's grace? Come on, would you praise him one more time? Amen. Now listen, I told God today, I, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. I would love for somebody on Facebook, somebody that hears this message later, it could be months later, somebody that's standing in this sanctuary right now in Grace Point Church, Valdosta, Georgia, who is not born again, who is not saved, that you would put your faith, not in me, not in a denomination or church, but you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is grace. And in that moment that you believe that, you would receive the benefit of the already given and granted forgiveness of your sins. And then you would get the supernatural benefit of being born again and that death in you will become alive to God and you would be saved we're saved by grace through faith so if you're not saved and you know you're not then believe in that believe in the grace who is a person and be saved and then walk up here and tell me brother Dale, I got saved today and then we want to baptize you so you demonstrate that salvation and then we want you to get in a Bible-believing church. I know of a real good one, if you'll ask me, I'll tell you. Okay? And you live your life enjoying the grace of God. Amen? So, Father, I pray for salvation to be the portion today for all that are lost. Healing by your stripes. All that salvation entails and covers. I pray and release that now. In the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, amen. If you want prayer, if you need prayer, personal prayer, I'm going to be standing right here. And if more of you come, my elders will see it, and they'll come help me. And we love you, and we'll pray for you. Hey, if you got saved today, would you walk up and tell me that? That would really make my day, okay? And I'd love to hear it. God bless you. We love you. Go enjoy this Sunday.